You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Land and Legacy Podcast with your hosts Adam Keith and Matt Dye. You know, Matt, here in the Ozark Mountains, spring has officially sprung and it is probably my favorite time of the year i've always debated which one do i like better do i like april or october better and and right now i love april we're sitting on the back porch of his parents house overlook of the farm azaleas are blooming birds are chirping we were chasing long beards all morning everything's greening up oaks are blooming and or i guess oaks are flowering i should say and it's just a beautiful time of year it's a busy time of the year and we're going to give a rundown on everything we've been up to this week and everything we're going to be up to this following week. So you want to get started? Sure, absolutely. Well, first, if anyone knows or follows Missouri's turkey season, it opened up yesterday. Yesterday, So, of course, we've been busy and have a couple hunts to uh, review and share because uh, we had an exciting day, needless to say, yesterday. It was a very fun day. Oh, my gosh. It was a, a day memories are, memories were made. Um, and it's, it was a day dreams were made of, honestly. Yeah, and, and that's what you think about opening day. Everyone wants to tag birds on opening day, and um, it's kind of put your stamp right on the 2017 turkey season with a bang. Um, you and Chad did anyhow. But we're also going to talk about our food plot prep and then our strategies for this coming um, spring and summer food plots. Um, so a lot of information to That's share. That's a hot topic right now. Very hot, yeah. Uh, I've had several people reach out and are, are asking what we're planting our food yes. plots, why we're planting that, uh, what they should be doing to prepare for it right now. And, I mean, this is one thing we hear every single year, and there's two two months. It seems like March hits, and, I mean, we've had snow even in May around here, but March is still that everything is still kind of at that dormant stage. It's just starting to pop, but guys are like, oh, spring's coming i need to get my food plots in it's like hold up hold up hold up that's that cabin fever coming out yeah and not yet and the other month for that is is late june it's like guys are like can when can i plant my fall food plots it's like whoa hold up there (laughs) we're still growing (laughs) yeah (laughs) so um we're here and it's it's late april and it is just a it's a busy time of the year and and uh we're gonna be planting food plots soon but right now we're preparing to be planting food plots we've got a lot of management going on right now um trying to get ready for the food plots to go on the ground so well how about we start off with yesterday and we got started uh about five forty-five. the alarms went off and uh we stepped out of the cabin and uh got on birds quick adam i'll let you kind of pick it up because um, honestly I, it was such an enjoyment yesterday for me to kind of sit back and watch adam and chad and chad is adam's older brother hadn't hunted together Especially on an opening day, we we actually were thinking about it yesterday. We're like, when when was the last time we hunted together on opening day? And actually, my brother is four years older than I am, and we grew up hunting together. And I mean, we kind of, I guess, fueled each other's fires for the outdoors. Let's just say there's some competition there. There's right? definitely competition there, but <laughs> there's also this very much an enjoyment hunting together, yeah. um, especially now that we both have you know early on 
when we were both still living at home, there was this, I was kind of behind him. I was still trying to learn my techniques and learning when to call and when not to call more specifically. And he, uh, and we kind of always butted heads a little bit, but now that we've got our, our game kind of fine tuned, it's a, it's a real treat for us to get to hunt together and, and know that, uh, that we're always in the game basically. So, um, and we were talking about that now, now to answer your question, you know, we were thinking, okay, when was the last time we hunted opening day together? And he's four years older than I am. So like when I was in middle school, he was high school and already doing sports. And, and we couldn't think of a time that we'd actually spent opening day together because here in Missouri, opening day is always on a Monday and that was school. So it's uh, never really worked out. And then of course life, you get busy and, and when you look at it and you just don't have time to kick off opening day. And so that was a real treat just to get to, hunt together on opening day that was i mean the day was made before we even put the camo on we got to stay in a cabin on a property um the four of us matt and uh zach Shermer, our film our filmer our film producer and it's just like you know it was just one of those days that as we watched the it rain, couldn't have gone wrong yeah it, it couldn't have but as we watched the rain there was like a 90 percent chance of rain um through the morning we were kind of like you know do we even go and we're like you know it might actually uh be a little better up near lebanon um it looks like the rain may actually go south but there was still a pretty good chance up there and then wouldn't you know it the rain all went south and it was just like wow how blessed are we yeah uh, the we lord just out. pushed that rainstorm down below us and yeah and it was beautiful uh, we got to go out and we set up early i guess we'll dive right in and start telling the story of it set up early on uh and that was just classic early season birds Lots of birds in one flock, roosted in one little grove of trees or one little area, fly down, go the other way. Uh, hens just didn't, hens were calling at us, but they just flew down and were headed the other way. And so that was right out of the gate. But throughout the morning, we were on birds pretty much nonstop. And finally, about 1030, uh, as we're creeping along and we're going to check out another little piece of the farm, we pop up and we see a couple long beards running jakes around. And then at that point, it was like, okay, we're I don't the, see we're hens. In the game. I don't see hens, and uh, there's a couple toms. We have a uh, Jake decoy with us. If we can get that Jake decoy with a hen um, decoy out in front of us and they can see it, I think it's going to happen. Yep. And we kind of did a little backtrack. And Well, I think that the important part was, was that creek system that worked through this farm. And it, it's a large creek. Um, and in some places, 20 yards wide, but the banks are dry creek, too. Yes, dry creek. And the banks are 10, 15 feet deep Easy. at some point. And we're able to walk through this creek bed and get all the way to the back edge of this field um, that backs up to a timber and another open field. It's it's almost borderline tunnel. It's, it's right. so the ditches are so deep that you can pretty much. Get in there. It's unfair. It, it really is, <laughs> and uh, you can get in those the ditch or the creek bank and just go. And as we spotted the toms running around, there was actually three toms, and one of them went on up into the woods. The other two were staying out fighting the jakes. We kind of did a little backtrack. Um, Matt slid the decoy out in the alfalfa field, and Chad and I got into position. And Zach got into position, and uh, <laughs> I don't know how long the hunt was. It, honestly, they were. When Zach hit record to the kills, three minutes and 14 seconds, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's how quick it was. And, and I think that was we're, – we're still a little unsure um, if if the birds just saw the decoys right away. It was kind of a belly crawl out to the field and backtrack. And there's a there's a chance that they saw the decoys kind of go up. Mm-hmm. But as soon as that happened, you got on the call. I got on the call because they were already kind of leaving. It was like right. they had already fought the jakes off. Okay. Now we're going to go back to where we think the hens are. And there's just a great lesson there as far as the early season hunting goes is, is finding that break where the the toms are no longer with the hens. Either yeah. the, the hens have kind of drifted off and are trying to hide from the toms and get back to their nest, or there's some jakes moved in and, and the gobblers have been too distracted with the jakes to focus on where the hens have gone, and I think that's probably what happened for us. They they wanted hens, and they committed quick um, and, I guess, paid the price, if you will, yeah. for that. But they they had to cross the creek, though, is, is my thing. I'm still 
I'm sitting back behind. I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work. You know, there's a yeah. field they're coming across. Then they got across the, the creek that we were in again, and, and where they crossed is 10, 12 feet deep. There's there's a few things um, that you always hear people, turkey hunters especially, like seasoned turkey hunters say, ah, I don't ever want to call, I don't ever want to try and call a tom through a woven wire fence, or I don't mm-hmm. ever want to, even a barbed wire fence. Well, we talked about it too. If we can avoid those situations, yeah. a podcast ago, if we okay, can avoid yeah. it, you know, that's where, you know, we're going to try to, but this certain situation it was unavoidable. The creek, they had to cross the creek. And that's that's the one thing about this property is it has those creeks and those steep creek banks uh-huh. all through the property that the turkeys are almost, I mean, they have to cross it so many times throughout the day that it's like, okay, well, in this circumstance, maybe they will cross it. Right. We still didn't like the idea of it, but we didn't have another opportunity. There was, or, there's another but, option. That, that was, that was you said it here or... No, no or go. we go back to the truck after yeah. something else, and right. we're not going to do that. So we set up and uh, set the decoy out, made a few calls. They gobbled. Here they came. Two toms stepped out into the shin high alfalfa, which was green as a gourd. Oh, it was picture perfect. It was it was absolutely incredible. And they strutted. One of them strutted all the way in to twenty five yards, and I did a little cutting, and they gobbled right in our face, and. Um, the rest is history, and Chad and I were on the board. And as we said, it was the first time we'd ever hunted opening day together that we can remember. But it was also, as crazy as it sounds, the first time we'd ever doubled up together. So first time that Chad and I had called in two birds and, and both had birds on the ground. So it was one of those just, uh, it was a it was a fantastic hunt. I, I kind of a little bit speechless when describing the the I guess the memories and the and the happiness and the joy that was there and just getting to enjoy an opening day with not only Matt and Zach but my brother and uh, and also putting our tags on two it, birds. It was a privilege just to sit back and watch one, just those birds work in and lock on decoys and come the twenty five yards strut gobble do everything. Two shots, boom boom, birds go down and high fives everything just commenced from there and and uh it was it was an awesome hunt if if there was ever a front row seat you wanted to be in it was it was in mine yesterday i'm i'm bragging on my front row seat i mean it was awesome you actually got to sit a little bit behind zach so you could see the monitor and see what he was filming and Mm -hmm. then glance away from that and see what was actually going on it was just it was a it was a a a beautiful day that god had made uh you know I'm sitting here now, and we're on this back porch, like we mentioned earlier, but I'm kind of, you know, my wife always tells me I I have ADD, and I just, and and, and I'm looking here, and I'm like, Your head is spinning. That's just looking around. I'm seeing robins, chickadees, everything. And and bluebirds. Yeah. And uh, and I'm kind of like, squirrel! Squirrel! (laughs) Oh, podcast. Uh, Okay. Um, You're telling a story, Adam. Get back with me here. There's a cardinal right there. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, it was just a great day. Now... Not only that, so we'd already been on a couple sets of birds, um, and then we, we were uh, blessed enough to harvest two, and it didn't take us long. It never usually does, but it didn't take us long to, okay, let's take our photos, let's take our video, let's take the B-roll. Now let's focus on the next one. Where are we going? What's the and, next bird? Where and we as we got back to the cabin and unloaded, you hit the crow call, and wouldn't you know it, oh, they fired up. I mean... Probably 200 yards from the cabin. That, and that's the thing about that cabin. Just the way it, it sits on the property, you are in the birds. Like, you walk out, and you could be on the front porch of that cabin, and and I'll hoot in the morning. You're hearing birds. I mean, you're right there in the action. And um, as soon as we got back to the cabin, like you said, crow call and gobbled right back. And we were and It didn't take us a whole half a second to go, okay, drop the birds there. You've got the – okay, now I'll, I'll carry the decoys. Okay. Yep. And we were off to the races. And, you know, that was one of those hunts where it didn't happen as planned. Right. Um, it was, but it still almost happened. It it did. It it was about as, as close as you, you could get to a kill without killing. And um, I guess I'll kind of go ahead and explain oh, that. Oh, dang. I was really hoping that I could get to explain it. Well, I'm what sure you'll, I saw. <laughs> you'll cut in. You, you can have your two cents. So we go after this bird. And we cross the creek and get set up. We're getting ready to get set up, and there's birds already in the field 
um, that we were going to get set up in. So we actually had to backtrack, back out, give more room in between our setup and the birds. And um, we don't just, you know, if there was no camera, we would have just we could have slipped into position, popped up, and been like, okay. And, and honestly, if there's no camera. We could have just gone down the creek a little further and popped up to where they were almost in range. Right. We but, could have coyoted them, basically. Yeah, and and that just for us on opening day with the camera, that's not what we're. That's not. That's we're not, not bashing that at all. Yeah, but yeah, that's just not it works. It, I've done it, it before. <laughs> it would be very uh, that farm set up great for that. But mm-hmm. we were trying to really get some good footage, and so we had to back up, kind of maneuver around, and uh, we did that. And then Matt, you can continue with the story. No, we we backed up. And honestly, got set up, and everyone was in position. I called a couple times, no response. And and I think every turkey hunter's experienced that. And it's just like the kind of a. It's just like if you could have a cloud above you that has your thoughts, it would mm-hmm. just be like questions and and you just a like, little angry face, like what? Like How? there's some angry emojis and and it's confusion because yeah. you're like, did did they see us? What? Why? Yeah. And, and a lot of times, especially during the early season, once they made those first couple of gobbles, they're the, calling up other hens. The, the hens are either drifted away yeah. and have came right back to them or other hens have came in. So there's kind of this race during the early season for us when you hear a turkey gobble, get to him, get it, get close enough to him before the hens can, other hens can get to him. Yeah, so. absolutely. And from, we were out of position, couldn't see the, the entire field, couldn't see, you know, if those hens had come in, if not, but... Sat there, waited patiently for a few more minutes, made a few other calls, and and no gobbles. And finally, I was like, "All right, well, we got to make a little bit of a change." And and Chad, Adam's brother, he was back, kind of float calling, and was able to sneak around, get back in the creek, and he was getting ready to go and pop up to go and put eyes on these birds that were in, the, in this corner. And I let out another call, and right behind us, hundred yards or or less, <sighs> we're like, "What in the world?" Turned around and. As I'm turning, I see in another field across this ditch is a full fan. I see a drop fan, and I kind of disappear in in the brush. And I'm like, Adam, there's a bird. There's a bird right behind us. And sure enough, here comes three longbeards. And they're working their way through the creek bottom and gobble once or twice more on their way in. And I'm honestly... Because you were set up just behind me, and that's kind of the direction they came, you had a better view and, and, and setup of what they were doing on their way in. Um, you could see them a lot better than I could. Yeah, and, and you know, you say long beards. I'll just emphasize that they were long, long beards. I mean, they had some swinging beards. When I saw them finally come around the, the bend of the road, I was like, oh, my goodness, these things have some ropes on them. And they ended up, you know, just – just three lone toms that were probably with hens earlier, and the and, hens and went to is nest, or the hens twelve thirty. Yeah, twelve thirty uh, here in Missouri. Season closed at once, so we're kind of on a time crunch. Yeah. And here they come, and they end up walking right down the road. And this is one of those times that we talked about not trying to really bottleneck turkeys. Is they were walking down the road, roads pretty wide, and then right before they get to us, because we weren't set up anticipating turkeys to come from that way. Um, it pinches down to where it's like a 20-yard gap. The tree line comes Two in. Two tree lines. And it's edge. just not ideal. And turkeys walked through that a million times. I'm sure. And, but not called through there. But they're not called through there. And so we're trying to call these birds through a bottleneck. But then the other side of that is as soon as they pop around the corner, 15 yards in front of them is a decoy. And that just kind of, to me, I'm not, I'm not a – I don't like to ever really surprise turkeys with a decoy. And especially not on a bottleneck. Yep. And so that was kind of one of those, we're in a bottleneck. Whoa, where did that hen come from? And so they stood there at 15 yards, and Matt, they, you can they, take over. They froze up, and with three long beers, that's a lot of necks. I'm trying to communicate with Zach, and he's on them, and, and there's a little bit of brush in between them. And, of course, you know, Missouri, you can only kill one bird a day, and I, I'm trying to take an ethical shot. And they're 20 yards from me, 15 or so from Adam, and um, finally one steps far enough off to the left. I'm like, Zach, you on it? Yeah. Safety goes off. Click. And I think, you know, if you follow along on Facebook, you know I'm taking my granddad's um, old Fox double barrel Model B um, at least it's from 1942 or earlier. So there's some age to this gun, but I've shot it, feel confident with it, and never had a misfire. But 
that bird came in, well, those birds came in 20 yards and sure enough, misfire and um, had to let them turn around and walk away and couldn't. And the reason I guess I didn't shoot the other barrel is because the, the right barrel is a modified choke. And um, it's that, that barrel is not very accurate. I'll be the first to admit that. So it's a double barrel, but I'm shooting basically a single shot and click on the left barrel and didn't want to push anything. They come in behind us, not much footage. And uh, so we let those birds work off and walk away, save them for another day. But uh, almost three birds down opening day. And it w- I mean, we were on birds till one o'clock. It was, it was an awesome hunt, awesome, awesome hunt. So hopefully um, I'll sweet talk that double barrel into actually firing next time. But you could see on, on the, the primer itself, the dent, it, it's like it just didn't strike it hard enough. Yeah. And I mean, it. I I was disappointed, but that also means that I got the rest of the week to hunt. Sorta. Well, we got rain coming in, but still, <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. a lot of rain, a lot yeah. of rain. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but anyhow, yeah. awesome day in the turkey woods. Absolutely, Tough it was kick just off a, a day better. Than it that. was a it was a wonderful day in the turkey woods. Um, and, and I'll go back to that miss, misfire when I actually, of course you will. Yeah, of course I will. <laughs> I wasn't going to let that one just slide under the rug that easy. Yeah, sure, We're going to talk sure, about sure. this. So, um, and you know, I was, I was sitting there and when I heard the misfire, I actually thought it was a safety going off and I'm like, if that's the sound of the safety going off in that gun, cool. I don't, I don't care how, <laughs> how cool it is. We got we got to find a new gun. <laughs> and uh, and then when it went off and, and I saw him jacking, trying to get it, trying to crack it open and get into the shell in, I was like, something happened, and I'm not sure what it was. And, and there was just a huge confusion and discussion, whispering going on from their little <laughs> hunkered down hideaway. And, and so it was like, what happened? Those birds are 15 steps. And uh, yeah. so either way, it was still an awesome day. And uh, they read the script for birds at twelve thirty. They read the script to, to fifteen yards. We couldn't really ask for. Birds unfortunately, we didn't know they had day. the script. Um, that's true too. That <laughs> because if we'd have known those birds would have worked, we, we wouldn't have set up like that. Way better setup, but sure. Oh well, it is what it is. So that's pretty much been our first. Our first. That was our first day of uh, turkey season today. Um, Tuesday. It was a uh, a day of of exercise. We got some. Obviously, the Ozarks are known for hills, and today um, I was actually allowed to, well, allowed. My dad said, come on out, let's hunt. I haven't hunted with my dad in years. It's been three years or, or more since I've been able to hunt with him chasing turkeys. And his his new property out here in the Ozarks has um, got quite a few birds on it. And um, we got out here first thing, and birds start firing up, but... Um, they didn't. They didn't read any scripts or so today. But we were on birds, honestly, all morning, um, chasing one ridge to another, and minus the cows being forth. out. That's true. We did get the call and had to. We had to abandon turkey hunting for a little bit because um, my your my dad's dad's Adam's cows dads. were out. Yep, got so the call. We turned into cowboys for about forty five <laughs> minutes, and if you uh, call it that. And had to put the cows back in the. Back in the pasture, and then we got right back into goblin turkeys. And Next setup, we had a bird goblin and somewhat working. Did any bird work today? They worked a little bit. Oh, they worked a little bit, but I, I, honestly, the, hen, the hens beat us. Yeah. These birds have got hens with, honestly, just about every setup, um, you'd, you'd hear a hen fire up, and they're pulling birds the opposite direction or just keeping their distance or keeping that tom quiet. They'd fire up four or five gobbles each time you set up and then kind of get quiet on us. Uh, but that's kind of a typical early season. But I will say this, I'm, it was, it was just a joy to be able to, to chase birds with dad again on his property. And my dad's kind of the old school hunter. He, he's kind of a, it's camper, right? We talked about. Camping. No, he's the old school. He, okay. He's old school. There was old that, school that, camper, the go getter, the and different the, uh, performer. stereotypes of, of turkey. Yeah, he's right. the he's the uh, old he's, he's old school. He carries wing the bone. wing bone around his neck. Oh yeah, he oh, busted yeah. that out today. And, and Adam kinda, had the, the pleasure of got a wing bone. Yeah, not just a wing bone though. It's got that little bull horn or that little oh yeah, that oh, little yeah. cattle horn that kind of more it, of it a, allows you to throw sound in different directions. Um, but yeah, 
it was it was fun. I, I had a blast, and again, Dad's the old school, so he doesn't really chase birds after the roost. Honestly, because when I was growing up, he's all, just always had something to do. So he'd hum in the morning first thing, and then go and you know work with cattle or fix a fence or cut wood, whatever it was. Um, but today we hunted till twelve forty-five, and uh, he stuck with it and, and uh, through the hills and the hot temperatures. It was it was just fun. And, and, and you know birds. that was just a good example. Today was a good example of, you know, I made this post on my Instagram yesterday about how we don't really measure success by the amount of notch tags that we mm-hmm. have. And mm-hmm. and although yesterday we, we tagged two toms and we'll get to eat those sometime soon and, and enjoy that part of it. But for us, the whole experience and I guess success is just the memories and the knowledge oh, that we yeah. gained. And, and uh, today was just you got to hunt with your dad today. I got to hunt with my brother yesterday. I'll be hunting with my dad probably uh, this week as well. And it's just, that's the one thing we, we hope that through the, all these podcasts uh, that we can stress is that it's not, it's not about killing the giant mature buck and it's not about killing the inch and a half spurs. It's just about that's enjoying icing creation. on the cake. Yeah. And, and you're putting, basically you're putting more than you're taking away into oh, yeah. the outdoors. And so, you know, you think about all the work we do throughout the year and all the habitat management we've done. And sure, we may be taking one tom, um, but we've we've done enough for the habitat to where there's multiple toms to enjoy that. So, oh, no doubt, and years and years to come. Yeah, and it's leaving it better than we found it. That that's the mission. That's the goal. Absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, that, it's been a it's been a great two days. We're going to continue. And hopefully nobody's getting too worn out on turkeys. The whole part of the podcast for us is we're just going to talk about what we've been up to. And since we're always, you know, whether it's whether it's on a consulting trip or it's property management or it's uh, managing our own farms or it's chasing turkeys or chasing deer or ducks or whatever it is, we're going to be talking about it. And this week we've been chasing turkeys and we've been talking about the different techniques for calling but and uh, – this week it's it's all about what we did and we're going to share some hunting stories so real life techniques and strategies yeah i think that's what it says on our probably yeah something (laughs) like that and so anyway now that we've addressed i guess the first two days of missouri turkey season know that we're going to be chasing them a lot more over the next couple of days um and we'll probably be sharing more stories with them sometime soon absolutely and uh now let's dive in. Let's go ahead let's and start go. diving into some other stuff that we have going on. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna talk a lot about um, our food plot prep because again we're, we're it's it's green up here, as um, just around the corner. So food plot prep and our strategies for summer food plots, spring summer food plots. What do we plant? What do we do? And what certain situations are? Why are you playing this over that? Um, what's best? So right off the bat, clover maintenance. This time of the year. Yeah, and, and, and that's one thing I've kind of, I guess over, over the last couple of years, it's been like, oh, turkey season. At some point, you're going to be planting food plots. You're going to be Spraying preparing food plots, food plots depending yep. on where we're at uh, as far as into the spring and, and the spring green up, or you're also doing clover maintenance. By clover maintenance, you know, everybody fights weeds, uh, Especially, it seems like in clover plots, established clover plots, over time you start getting more and more and more weeds, and everybody asks us, "Is there a Roundup Ready clover?" Yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a big one, and we wouldn't stress. That's one thing I've heard people say: "Ah, oh, maintain your clover on half percent glyphosate mixture." It's like, whoa, no, I, I wouldn't recommend that. Always follow the label, but um, trying to do weak weak dosages of of roundup glyphosate generic glyphosate um that's how we get some roundup resistant plants tolerance so, yeah tolerance built um, up but we're talking about clover maintenance we're trying to control weeds um and, and just think of those weeds once they get established there's going to be more and more seeds so you need to really tackle them before here we go we got a plane plane People, coming over i don't know if they can hear that or not but we're in the country and and there's a little old single engine plane flying over but um so anyway clover okay, squirrel squirrel <laughs> plane um deep plane boss deep plane so 
we when we're talking about the clover maintenance, let's go ahead and, and when you're thinking, there's a couple different ways to maintain clover. For me, I've always been a fan of mowing, and um, that goes with years and years of of trying different ways and and different techniques. But there are some herbicides that are labeled for clover or to help clover, and the one problem really with clover is it's it, of course it's a legume so you're going to have grasses come in grass weeds come into your food plots that's easy you're going to spray it with with a clethodim um grass specific herbicide of course clover is a broad broad leaf so it it's doesn't a broad leaf. It. yes and so the problem the the one little bit of problem with that is it sounds super easy it is super easy but that herbicide is pretty expensive and, and you generally have a large quantity, and you don't use that much in your mixtures. And then the window on top of that to be able to spray it and kill those broadleafs, or the grass, excuse me, it's a very small window um, to Maybe really do we, it I don't think we should ever do a podcast on the back porch again. <laughs> You're distracted. I'm distracted. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we're talking about the controlling controlling grasses in your clover. You're looking for a grass-specific herbicide. It's usually pretty, fairly expensive. Um, and then you start thinking at, about trying to control the other broadleaves in your clover. That's where it gets tricky. And there's all kinds of cocktails, if you will, on online to where different people have tried things. And there's even a herbicide, raptor herbicide, that they say is great for everything but clover. But then once you look at... That the window to spray these is basically okay. It has to be warm enough to where it's going to kill them, but it also can't be where the where the um, the weed is over eight inches tall. So you're trying to find in this very early young stage, and then you're going to spray it, but you're kind of it's just it's a very difficult thing. It can be done, but this is why I generally recommend mowing. And, and you're not going to kill everything in one mowing. Generally, mm-hmm. you're going to come back. You're going to mow. Um, a couple times during the growing season, honestly, just depending upon the amount of rainfall um, that you're getting. And that's going to set back those weeds and promote clover. Mm-hmm. Clover's going to be able to outcompete those weeds, um, and that basically is what controls the weeds in your yeah. food plots. So you're looking at, at, a, at the mower going over, and it's knocked everything back to the same stage. The mower's gone over the One top. Clean sweep. And, and now you got to find, a, in theory, the clover grows back faster than the weed can and it chokes it out that's that's basically the process of mowing and this is why we generally recommend mowing clover versus spraying it with a herbicide is because you can control a lot of weeds with herbicide but the window's so small it's very very expensive i guess uh let's talk about you know the the jug of it's a gallon jug usually Mm -hmm. and it's over 100 bucks um for the herbicide and so that's just the grass specific herbicide then you look at the other one and then you have to include crop oil usually and once you do all that you're like i have so much herbicide for such a, a small quarter area. acre food plot and a very small window be able to get it done for it to be effective and so you know just is it, this it, the best use of my time is basically what it comes time and money is this the best use Managing on a budget. It right. seems like there's more people managing on budgets than there are that have unlimited incomes for their property management. So that's why we generally just recommend mowing. Because um, a lot of the clients we deal with, are, they've got, well, depends on the size of the property. But overall, less than 5% of the property's food plots. Correct. Correct. So, um, and that's how that's basically how we are controlling our, our weeds and our, clo- and our clover plots. And uh, so, you're trying to think now how we're doing that. Turkey season closes at 1 here in Missouri. Afternoons are a quick siesta, a quick little nap. Yeah. And then you get back on the, the management side of things, whether, it, again, it's, it's spraying clover or, or mowing your clover. And then, now we're transitioning, get, get ready for the food plot season. Um, so, you're springing summer plots. So, what kind of prep, Adam, are we talking about when it comes to spraying those food plots? You know, a couple podcasts ago we talked, I guess it was one podcast ago, episode seven. Spring management. Spring management. You, you put us all on the edge of our seat when you started talking about 
sprayer maintenance. Ooh, yeah. Good topic. Exciting. But uh, we've already got our sprayer maintained, and it's ready to rock. And so now we're looking for the window, the weather, to spray our food plots. Long-term forecast is important to check out. Yep. And we're looking for, basically, we want our soil temperature to be up up where it's warm enough to plant, 60, 65 degrees, 9 a.m. in the morning. And we're trying to find, we're, we're wanting it to be soil temp of that range. But then also looking ahead, here in Missouri, generally, we're planting our food plots early to mid-May. And... Man, he's loud. That little birdie is loud. And uh, so for us, that's two weeks away. And generally, we like to spray our food plots two weeks before we plant. Two weeks advance of planting. And we're at that stage now to where, okay, we're going we're gonna to fire up weather dependent. We're going to fire up the uh, UTV and get to spraying our food plots and uh, be ready to plant in two weeks. So what does a glyphosate mixture look like for controlling all the weeds and cover crops in our food plots right now well always follow the label um that's kind of what you're doing where you're spraying follow the label recommendations and for us we always kind of rule of thumb five percent glyphosate mix five percent glyphosate and that's going to control just about anything and that's five percent of the tank so you know we were spraying and i think it i think it was by rough estimate what were we 40 gallons Mm-hmm. Ended up being like forty gallons of water, two gallons of glyphosate, something yep. like that. Yep. Um, for spraying uh, last week, we were doing a little bit of spraying on some cool season grasses, trying to knock those back and promote native grasses and forbs. Um, but that's a whole different podcast. So we're we're spraying our food plots five percent mixture usually. Same same mixture. Yep, same five percent mixture. mixture. And that's going to kill basically everything that's not Roundup resistant. And some of the common weeds that a lot of people are seeing, they're 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 taking pictures of them, sending them to us. What is this weed? What is this? Go over a, a couple of the common ones that that a lot of people are seeing in their food plots at this time of the year. Man, get with it. He's got a lot. To I don't say know over if they. I think they can hear it. I can they hear it in my hear. headphones. Boy, yeah. he's loud. And a lot of times, dead nettle. Yep. And uh, hen bit. Hen which bit. Looks, what they look so similar that yep. a lot of people, including myself, for a long time couldn't tell the difference because right. they look so similar. Those two are are big time out in food plots right now. Chickweed's another one that's very mm-hmm. common. Um, those are just the the um, early growing season, cool season weeds that always are popping up. Um, those, the hen bit, the dead nail's got that little purple hint to them. So if you see a yeah. uh, cornfield that's kind of got that purple tint, that's a hen bit, dead nettle weed growing out there. And glyphosate will take care of those, no problem. Um, those are very easy to control. Absolutely. And, and you know, then we're talking about we're spraying, hopefully, if the plan has gone accordingly, mm-hmm. you're spraying the fall food plot blend out as well. You know, we were in that food plot this morning, and... There was some places that were already waist high cereal rye. The brassica blooms are already knee high. Yeah, it was beautiful looking. And you think about all the organic matter that's out there with all the diverse the diversity that's in that plot. And I think the other thing that obviously all those things are growing. And at this time, you know, if if you didn't have a cover crop on your food plots, if it was just a soybean plot, you don't have that active root system in there as, as well it's really easy to look at a food plot and say okay i can see you know that there's forage here um that you know stuff is growing it's green that's good but what is really important when it comes to cover crops is the active root systems in there mining nutrients and harvesting them and bringing them up to the top layer of the soil for the next crop always looking forward and that's what the cover crop really helps to do and I guess that kind of goes not into just our, the cover crop, but the diversity of the cover crop. Exactly, the diversity of the cover crop. We talked about cereal rye right now being waist high, and it's going to get even higher than that. And then the brassica blooms, you know, they're at a different height. But that's the same thing. You know, what you're seeing, the diversity up top above the soil, is the same thing down below. You have different root systems. Some are a tap root system. Some are diving down four and five feet deep, and some are just the surface level. So they're harvesting and gaining, getting these nutrients and, and bringing them back up to the soil so again that next crop benefits from them and, and you you touched on you said the the taproot but you also have the fibrous root system mm-hmm. so 
you, you think about that to try and explain that visually. Um, not as many roots, a little bit deeper with the tap root, that right. uh, bigger diameter, so they can kind of dive, dive deeper. In. Then you've got the fibrous root systems, which are finer, thinner roots, but there's more of them. Um, and so they kind of are uh, – basically all mine go through the soil differently. Correct. And create tunnels, create ways to transfer nutrients from deep in the soil up into the plant. Let's recycle them. Bring them back up because at – this point, right now, you know, a soybean plant isn't going to be able to harvest those or use that nutrients that's in the soil. So when you plant those tap-rooted, um, high-diversity cover crops, you're able to go back in and pull those back up and use it to your advantage. Before they leave. Yeah. Before they go deep into the soil. Leach and, deeper and deeper. And and especially here where we have a real rocky-type, porous-type porous, uh, yep. soil profile, is, uh, we can hold that hold that nutrients right there at the soil accessible soil level. 24 7 yeah and uh and that's why honestly why i like diversity in food plots uh in the spring too and exactly it kind of you know fall and spring high diversity food plot that leads right into our next topic is okay kind of what are, what is it you're planting and high diversity mixtures let's dive into that um well first we'll I'm dive into that Am I getting ahead? This I'm just so, so excited about them. This is very uh, something we're both very passionate about when it comes to food plots because it's kind of it's something that for me it's not I don't ever want to look at a food plot and be like okay yep I'm managing I'm managing the habitat I planted mm-hmm. one acre on my food on my farm I'm managing habitat it's and you're really kind of managing the soil there mm-hmm. um, and it's all about managing the whole property and and everything but when it comes to food plots. Not only are they great, they're great for hunting, don't get me wrong, but planting the diversity helps, oh, so much. Helps so the many different bees. species. You know, when we the were worms. in that food plot today, and there was all those little starting to bloom, the brassicas, and there were so many bees. Mm-hmm. And there it's buzz like, when you ah, walked in there. That's something that a lot of people, a lot of people are, a lot of environmentalists are concerned about, but it's just, and I won't touch on it too much, but. Just the bees are benefiting from these diverse, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. diverse food plots. So that's why we like them. Not only are they great for um, the great root systems, but they're also maturing at different times throughout the summer and providing forage throughout the whole growing season. So let's talk about some of the, the stuff we planted last fall, and then we'll talk about some of the stuff we've, yeah. we're planning on planting sure. this spring to give people an idea when we're talking about diversity. Diversity in our food plot mixtures. And so in the f- last fall, and and we're, we're sitting outside, I'm already distracted looking out at the bluebird sky and and uh, everything that's going on. So we planted cereal rye, we planted oats, we planted wheat, we planted a forage turnip, which really didn't have much of a bowl, but it's, uh, but it's got great... A very big leafy green. Yep. We planted purple top turnips. Which has the bulb. Which has the bulb, which is fantastic at busting up hard pan. Yep. And we also planted, there's five species. We planted the radishes, yep. which is, like, notorious for busting up hard deep pans and going root. deep, deep into the soil. And then not only that, but they decompose so rapidly that it almost kind of leaves a hole in the ground. Mm-hmm. But don't get me started on how bad they stink when they start decomposing. <laughs> and, Aerating and so that's the soil. six. Yep. And then we started, then we Austrian planted winter pea. an Austrian winter pea, hairy vetch. Yep. So there is, I think that's six what is and that, seven. seven or eight maybe. That's, yeah. And we can't, we can't. so you, we've got the Austrian winter peas, hairy vetch. Then we planted two species uh, or, or two types of annual clovers, crimson mm-hmm. clover and arrow leaf clover. Yep. And I think that might be it. Yep. So I think that's 11 or, and, I, and we might be forgetting one, but that pretty well gives people an idea. Of, A great idea of how diverse Oh, we planted, talking. uh, uh. Drawn a blank? I drew a blank. It seems like there was another cereal grain in there. Um, but anyway, so we planted over 10 species in the fall fall food plots. Mm-hmm. Um, then this spring, there's so much you can plant. Um, that, that, that's kind of the, the beauty of it. And, and when we, a lot, I guess the purpose of our high diversity food plots is, is twofold. Um, and I'm, I'm going to talk specifically here on my parents new place there was existing areas that had been cleared and the ground was rough i mean there it's not like great condition soil for food plots this and that so 
soil tests are saying, you know, very little organic matter. So when you have those new food plots in those newly created areas, that's where this really high diverse mixture comes into play the best because you're building the soil through this mixture. Because, again, we're not just managing our our food plots in the summertime just for food. We, you know, we've got food throughout the entire farm if we if, if we we've managed burned, correctly if we've managed correctly if we've burned open or if canopy done, yep whatever exactly. it is you know we're we're as habitat managers or as Old conservationists we're trying to manage the entire property not just the few acres we have in food plots but if we're managed if since we're on food plots let's manage those as best we can and correct and that's by helping soil health mm-hmm. planning diversity so there's always something um, basically, from a honeybee standpoint, there's always something blooming. Um, there's something that's high-quality forage for the wildlife. Then there's something that's maybe it's not very beneficial forage-wise, but it's fantastic for building and growing and growing and growing and providing plenty of biomass. Lots and lots of um, biomass. To promote the organic matter growth in, yep. in, in the food plot. Now, I'm a rookie. Just Let's just say, why do I care about organic matter? Organic matter is critical to holding moisture in your soil. Um, and basically, organic matter is just older decomposing life, plant material. So it's um, last year's food plot, basically, that's still on the that's soil. On the in the process of decomposing and breaking down. And that's going to build up the soil, the top, the top layer of the soil. And a lot of times what we're seeing... As we spray these food plots and it gets laid over, there's an incredible moisture barrier because of that so that the vegetation basically is laid over and that moisture is not being evaporated because the vegetation is laid over. There's almost a, a shield. A vapor. Vapor block. barrier. Yes. Right there against the soil and the vegetation that's laid over. So you're having quicker decomposition because of the moisture and your food plot's not drying out and you've got adequate um, moisture for your your next crop, basically. And not only that, it's also worm food. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They break it down very, very rapidly. And basically, as they con- consume that broken down, that decomposing soil or decomposing food plot species, then they're... They're producing vermiculture, which is basically worm poop. Yeah. And that is the, about the best fertilizer you can buy, period. Yeah. Um, so, again, th- this is kind of that natural process of, of allowing everything to um, work together as a big ecosystem. Um, and that's working to the advantage of a food plot. And be- basically the importance of all of this is is because attraction attractive food plots is a direct result of the health of the soil. So the healthier your soil is, it's a big circle. The healthier your soil is, the more attractive your food plots are going to be. So if we can work on that soil and, and have these high-diversity mixtures that are inca- going to increase organic matter, then you're going to have better soil, um, basically a better habitat for these worms to do their job. and Not just better habitat for the deer, which is correct. what everybody a, – a, Not a everybody. indirect result is, is awesome-looking food plots, highly attractive, but in the process – You've got to kind of hit these benchmarks, if you will, on your way there. And where I was going was it's not only beneficial to the deer, but it's beneficial to the worms and everything else in the environment pretty mm-hmm. much. So, yeah. Um, it's for us. It's a win-win, man. For us, the food plots are far more than a hunting hunting tactic. It's, it's right. about – it's just another way to do more for the environment or do more for the habitat in your mm-hmm. on your area. So let's, let's talk about – What's in the summertime, springtime? Okay, because that's what's coming up. Yes. And that's what everybody is excited about. I mean, we're members of a couple groups on Facebook where everybody's talking about what they're going to be planting. And, man, that is a buzz right now. What oh, are you man. planting this spring? Hot topic. And so there's a couple different – we do we have a couple different processes with this. And, and it's kind of one of our overall goals and objectives. But – uh, if it's a new area, w- as we're talking about diversity, we understand, you know, in, in a crop situation, we're not asking farmers to go out and plant a diverse uh, a diverse field, a field of diverse species. We're, They're harvesting it yes. for specific 
They're feeding the world. And so, (laughs) thank you, farmers. And so, when we're talking about the food plots and planting diversity, that's what we're talking about. But, um, you know, for me, when we're talking about the spring, spring, that's what I love. And, And a lot of people plant, a lot of people plant soybeans. And for us, we use soybean monoculture, so a field of straight soybeans, for trying to really control weeds in that area. Issues with with weeds, right? It, it could be, um, gosh, it could be. It could Johnson be anything, yeah. or, it could, or it, and that can be a new food plot situation too. Yeah. You know, basically, you're converting from pasture, and you know you got these, you know, late weeds that come up during August or whatever, and you know you're gonna have to spray again, and you can't do that with. You know, a diverse, these, a you diverse know, mixture because with they're the, not with the fall blend or the spring blend that we're going to talk about. There's so many. You have grasses, you have mm-hmm. broadleaf, so you can't really go over with a with a generic roundup and spray it and kill half the food plots. So, right, um, and that's where you know that's where these fields of soybeans come in. Mm-hmm. And and even if you're in you know down south, and even I guess it's not down south anymore. It's everywhere, but you're fighting the Pigweed, pig weed. Pig um, that's where you're trying to really, and, and unfortunately, pigweeds built up a roundup resistance, and so that's where you're. We honestly plant a lot of Liberty Link soybeans, which is a little bit different herbicide, but it uh, controls. But it controls the, that the pigweed. So the basic the, the benefit of the monoculture soybean is to control weeds because you have multiple applications throughout a growing season to be able to apply herbicide to that field, get rid of whatever weeds are coming up or going to come up. And you can clear that out, kind of wipe that seed bed or weed bed clean and prepare that plot for future plantings where herbicide won't be as necessary down the road because you don't have those noxious weeds coming into your plot year after year after Mm -hmm. year. You've done your duty by planting with the monoculture soybeans that are Roundup ready and clearing out those weeds. That's that's, like a great illustration of that is turning pasture ground into um soybean field or food plot that corner of you know your grandpa's um cattle farm cattle farm right and he finally lets you plant a food plot so you (laughs) fenced out a uh, three-quarter this this story strikes too close to home so i'll I'll dive in on it three-quarter acre food plot but it's got a bunch of fescue that's where planting a uh roundup ready soybean or liberty link soybean would come in and Mm -hmm. awesome um, but once you get that established, that's where we start planting the the diverse food mm-hmm. plots. And I guess we should touch on, you know, this is kind of, for us, this is based on average and, and I guess the the popularity of, of somebody who's got a food uh, a farm with three or four food plots. It's not like they have acres and acres and acres and acres of food food plots. There's not, that that's such a... It's not a regular occurrence as a right. as a real world or a uh, an average Joe out there day to day, and so that's why we're, we're talking about planting these diversities. That's we're really trying to drive that home to the the weekend warrior type guy. And so now let's list out some of the stuff that we're going to plant this spring in our food plots. So first off, obviously we're going to have a soybean in it, correct? And maybe a couple different types of soybeans. Yeah, exactly. Maybe a different different maturity rates. Mm-hmm. Um, an early a three or four, and then have a, a group seven or even an eight possibly like a mature at different rates, or, and have green forage at the at different rates too. So um, we're planting soybeans, cowpeas, cowpeas. We've got buckwheat. Yep, and which is a great soil builder. Yes, great for the um, great at mining nutrients, conditioning soil, possibly sunflowers. Yes. They're very, very attractive to deer. You know, very. Absolutely. You know, that's one thing, you know, uh, well, on our consulting trip a couple weeks ago, we we they were in a very dry, sandy Oklahoma habitat, mm-hmm. real rocky. We're like, yep. you know, I think soybeans or sunflowers would do pretty good. And the guy kind of looked at us like we were crazy. Like we told him to go out and plant thistles yeah <laughs> and he's like what kind of sunflowers are you talking about i was like what oh and he was worried like you know wild dr- drive sunflower. through kansas and there's mm-hmm. sunflowers everywhere and, and farmers hated them we're not talking about that like a lot of times these are just black oil sunflowers right and <laughs> and you can get those pretty cheap pretty darn cheap right and, and the, at a young state deer absolutely love them yes when i was working for the missouri department of conservation in college we planted a 
it was a multiple acre field of sunflowers and i went back in the fall and can you guess how many i don't it, i think it was like five acres so a bunch of sunflower seeds went into the ground a bunch of sunflowers came up but by the time fall hit we had two sunflower heads sunflower heads i'm not the deer had absolutely mowed them down and the, the reason again for this high diversity mixture is because that sunflower is not browse tolerant if they're going to get their their pretty much a couple bites out of it and be gone so mm-hmm. by mixing it with a bunch of different other species that are going to mature at different times, you're going to have a food source throughout the entire growing season that's going to have food available um, for months and months. But then those diversity, the diverse species, they're kind of somewhat going to protect each other a little exactly. bit. They're going to lean on each other. They're going to help protect a few of the sunflowers to where we're probably going to have some sunflowers make mm-hmm. it to where we can um, – we'll have some – Whatever, some sunflower heads for the big, tall sunflower, yeah. six-foot-tall biomass, but also provide some food for quail and songbirds, turkeys. Sure. And uh, so, yeah. And so we've talked about soybeans, cow sunflowers, peas. cow peas, buckwheat. buckwheat. We've got German and pearl millet as well. And, and these specifically aren't as attractive of a food source for deer, but these are the kind of the key ingredients for building that biomass, a really thick stalk with large leaves. And when they, the one, they grow pretty daggum tall. Um, and they grow in poor soils. Dry, poor soils. Mm-hmm. And we've had great success with that. Um, so when the, basically those are laid over and um, you're planting that fall cover crop, you have a thick stalk, lots of leaf um, as a cover crop for planting um, your fall seed, yeah. and it breaks down, builds organic matter. And if it goes to head, if it if if it goes it as planned and it yeah. makes a head, it provides food for <laughs> quail and and yeah. even deer, even deer eat, um, eat and all kinds of birds. And so, yeah, it's mm-hmm. uh, now. What's the next one? Sorghum sedan. And that one, that's one of those things that it's not really a, a high quality forage, but it is such a biomass builder i mean it we, absolutely grows and grows and grows we had some 14 stocks. foot tall last year yes and this is in relatively shaded areas i mean it's not it's not a wide open field that we're getting that um success from you know these are quarter half acre plots in the timber along a ridge top rocky that, ridge top that, and that's in plots that you know as we've touched on before for years and years and years plowed turned over disc very poor soils. Yes. And 14 foot tall. That's where we're trying to really build the organic that, matter exactly. back. That's this high diversity. That's why we're using this planting strategy is to build that organic matter back into that soil. And these species are doing very well even despite the, the poorness of the soil. But we're getting back and we're, um, we're making some headway. The plots mm-hmm. are looking great. Looking great. So we've got Sorum Sudan, great biomass builder. Another one's the Egyptian wheat, which is pretty much the same thing. Yeah, As very in it's, similar. It's, it's um, a lot you know, of reason you, for you being wouldn't be able to tell the difference. In a, right. a lot of people wouldn't be able to tell. It grows very tall, provides a big, tall uh, seed head that, mm-hmm. that birds love, um, but it's a great biomass builder. Yep. And then sun hemp. And, you know, big that's legume. one of those. that the, the Sun hemp is one of those where it's like, whoop, did he really just say sun hemp? I uh, did. And, and so... That's another one that can grow, my gosh, it can grow over 10 foot tall, and it's a legume, so it actually fixates nitrogen back into the soil. And a lot of nitrogen. We're talking very, when it comes to cover crops, especially during uh, the growing season cover crops, ridiculous amounts of nitrogen preparing your plots again for fall. Because, again, we've got a lot of food throughout our farm, so these food plots in the, the spring and summer don't have to provide if, tons and tons if and tons your, and tons and if tons. If your farm and your food plot, your food plots are looked on to feed the deer herd through the year, there's a major kink in your armor as far as habitat management. You need Agreed. something, something else done. You need you need to hire a forester or have a forester come consult on your property. Mm-hmm. Something Prescribe is missing. Fire. Yes, exactly. Um, so a lot a lot of these these areas again they're they're poor soil. We're getting these back into the right condition, improving the soil. And preparing them for the fall. So these species are increasing the, the success of our fall food plots by a long shot. And we saw that this fall and the success 
over food plots, hunting just on trail camera. And um, and just two weeks or a week ago when we were down looking at one of the food plots, we looked oh, at yes. all the the species. <laughs> the species. And the browse all across the food plot. Mm-hmm. It, it was incredible. And the buzz going on. Yeah. The literal yeah. buzz of bees and everything mm-hmm. moving. And, and what else we got in that summer? Is that pretty much it? That's that's I, a really good wrap-up of Is our, that about eight, seven, eight? Now we got cowpeas, soybeans, buckwheat, sunflower, German, pearl millet, sorghum sudan, Egyptian wheat, sunhip. That's 11 right there. I mean, excuse me, nine. I have more fingers than I He's thought. trying to hold his mic and, and use his <laughs> fingers. And well, my toes he can't almost see had to come in. Yeah. <laughs> We have nine right there. That's in, amazing. In, in one, one food plot. And the, the crazy thing is the affordability of these seeds. Sun hemp is a little expensive. Mm-hmm. However, the rest of these, if you're if you're doing a mixture, um, you're not it's, you're not going out. You're not buying. breaking the bank. Yeah, you're not. It's paying. a very affordable way to plant food plants. Yep. It's a very bene- beneficial to to the whole ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just and that's it's just an awesome way to plant food plots and maintain. And, food plots. and someone's going to say, where do I, where do I get those seeds? Yeah. Where, where can I find that? Is there a mixture? Is there a package? There's not. What we've been doing, and it's it's been very successful for us, is there's a local hardware store or a, a big it's co-op. A seed company. Yeah. And where we we buy these different species and, individually. and we mix them. Yeah. Mix them ourselves. Mix them. And, and that may be we buy a a, a, a labeled soybean or a, sure. a, or a labeled whatever, sun hemp, and we mix it in as well. This is just trying to find as many species that can be beneficial in our food plot as possible and mixing them all together and making sure we're using obviously the right seed rates mm-hmm. and uh it has been it's been awesome to watch this is something we've been working on for several years on the family farm and doing and and uh and that's this is one other experiment that we're going to try and since we talked about those those uh Sedan grass, Egyptian wheat, the pearl millet, German millet, all growing up and being real tall. Is we're going to try and do a little bit of like strip mowing with mm-hmm. the bush hog and, and keep and try and keep them at a very young state. And when we when we mow them, we're going to obviously we're going to be cutting some of the stuff off. It's going to be going on the ground, providing organic matter. We're going to see kind of the difference in in mowing versus non mowing and see what kind of uh, benefits we get out of each and maybe this completely changes the way we manage it, manage those diverse food plots from here on out right from we don't basically what we're we're trying to do is increase the amount of just tender vegetation that those species are going to provide increase forage mow it while also benefiting the soil health exactly laying that um, basically dead and not as productive um, forage over once it's been bush hogged and jump start some new stuff. So we've got um, a lot of faith in our high diversity mixtures just over these past couple of years again of, of what it's doing to the soil. And um, even though there are some species in there that aren't as highly preferred, the deer are in those like crazy. The, the browse on the cow peas, the soybeans, the buckwheat, um, it's pretty incredible. It's the same thing with the Great Plains. Now, exactly. you look at the Great Plains, there not every species out there is is the very best forage or the very best cover. Right. But it all has its place. Mm-hmm. And they all kind of lean on each other and support each other and help each other mature. And that's where this diverse food plot can really increase soil health, provide forage for the deer. In addition to the highly diverse plant species in the Great Plains... What else is it known for? Fertile soils. Exactly. Black soil. Deep soil. Like deep it's organic just... black soil. And that's basically, in a food plot regime, is what we're replicating by highly diverse, laying over the food plots after they've been terminated, and planting. Mm-hmm. It is the same system, but it works in a food plot application um, to have highly attractive food sources and diverse food sources and all the and while one thing, improving the soil. Those diverse species we haven't talked about is each one of those does a little bit different when it comes to mining. So mm-hmm. let's just say buckwheat may be really good at mining phosphorus and and the the pearl millet, German millet may be really good at mining nitrogen. And they're each pulling different really focusing on different types of 
uh, nutrients and elements in the soil and pulling those up. And with each one of those pulling those up, then the next crop comes along and there's plenty of there's a mix of there's a mix of mineral and nutrients right there for as soon as they tap in, grow roots, it's just right there for them to take and, it up. And, and guess what? You're mining those nutrients with the money you're putting into seed and not having to pay for fertilizer because the plants are doing the job that fertilize would do. Mm-hmm. Just in its root system, just by planting them, you're harvesting them from the soil. So it's honestly, it's a cheaper way to plant, and it's a cheaper way Long to make term, sure. Long term, it's a very cheap way to oh, yeah. maintain oh, yeah. food plots. And the, that's this is basically another reason why we always encourage soil tests during the springtime. Because you got to see basically what that year has done, what your cover crops, what work they've done basically for you. It pays off in the long run. Soil sample each year, highly diverse food plots. Yeah. I don't know how we are in time. You know, I'm just We're sitting wrapping back. up, man. I've kicked back, and I'm enjoying the sunshine. and The old rocker. Oh, you look like rock- a grandpa in that rocker over there. My, yeah, I've got the white legs. And You're the, not ashamed. I'm not ashamed, no. I'm, I'm rocking back, and I'm enjoying the view. Um, and we pretty much wrapped up today as far sure as um, covering our catching everybody up on our turkey season uh, so far. So far. hey, we're two days in. Yeah, two days in. I made it sound like it was already over. It is you long from over. over. Um, yeah. And so we've caught you up on that. We've kind of talked over what we're going to be doing this week. We're going to be spraying um, some food plots, getting them ready to plant. We're also going to be mowing some clover. If weeds are real bad, we'll probably be spraying them if they're at the right height. And uh, we're just getting ready for another year of managing habitat. And we are very, very excited and blessed to be able to do it. And leading into next week, as we talked about our, our strategy, we're actually going to talk next week about touching our techniques, basically, yes. for how we're planting food plots. So we've got this idea, the strategy of where we're using this mixture versus this mixture. And we're going to talk next week about how we're going to do it. Yeah, hope techniques. Yeah, and, and we say next week. We've always said that. Like, okay, we'll talk about that next week. But there's always it something. really kind of depends on where we're at next week. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, we we usually are in the office at, at at my house, and and uh, but a lot of times, you know, today we ended up on the back porch of your parents' farm. I'm and, quite uh, fine with that. I'm, so we're hopefully next week going to be talking lunch. about our uh, how we're going to be planting and getting ready, but. We'll see what. Hopefully, we'll see where it goes, and absolutely, maybe uh, we may be doing a timber harvest first part of the timber harvest next week. That's so. very true. That's just around the corner. Yeah. So anyway, uh, thanks for everybody joining along, and we'll catch you next time. See ya.